Hello and welcome back to this episode of Trash Future, this bonus episode after dark. Uh, it is me, Riley. I'm in studio uh, with Milo, who's on his phone. I'm on my phone uh, because because I, you're a I, fucking millennial. I am receiving important texts. Yeah. Could you be on that phone? Um, yeah, because yeah, you're, damn. you're hooked to Visco. You're oh, a Visco I'm, girl I'm now. ordering avocado toast. I'm frittering away my house deposit as we speak. <laughs> uh, I'm ordering avocado toast and, you know... Cancel uh, culture. Oh, yeah, and yeah, just, subscriptions just to Gamer Girl Bathwater. Heap of avocados. Yeah. Refusing to buy yeah. diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Just shutting down every fast casual... Yeah. The harvesters. But why... You're ordering the destruction of every harvester up and down the country. But why damn. does this pile of avocados have a BC First sign? <laughs> um, oh damn! And also, we have Alice. Yes, we do. Hello, Come, calling in from Dark Glasgow. Ah, uh, uh, you you mm. head me off at the pass. Yes, it's, dark, dark Glasgow is a very special kind of Glasgow. It, it's the yeah. gritty fantasy reboot of Glasgow. It's like the Eldar <laughs> and the Dark Eldar. Glasgow yeah. 2077. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alice, Alice is here recording in her Talos pain engine, <laughs> mm. as um, always. Yes. And also, uh, we have returning champion, Ollie Thorne. Ollie, how's it going? It's going very well. It's delightful to be back as, as Trust Future's uh, number one guest, I think you told yeah. me last time we went out. Mm -hmm. I, it's it's mm. interesting. We're going to see if uh, mm. we get some of the fire posts. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, just like Riley, Riley say it, says that to all the guests to make them feel special. <laughs> yeah. And then he's just like getting called on. Like, no, no, like, cut this. Can it occurred to me until he just yeah. said it, Milo. No, I believe it. Returning <laughs> Trash Future Participation Trophy. Um, it's yeah. like, no, I always say to all the guests, oh my God, you were so funny. You're so good at this. Like, I actually like. I would even just like hang out with you normally, not even to make a podcast. <laughs> Ollie, Ollie Thorne just spelling out the alphabet into the mic there. <laughs> um, all right, you know, you just know what it getting is. Getting owned, yeah. <laughs> absolutely bodied. We're two minutes in. Damn, uh, this will not stop. Mm. Um, so, look, we got a lot to talk about today on this very special bonus episode of TF, but I want to do one plug out the gates, because mm. we got a very different kind of live show coming up, don't yeah, we, we got, a, we got a fucking live show up in this bitch. So, uh, yeah, the 6th of February, which is a Thursday, we're going to be having a live show at the Hen and Chickens Theatre, which is at High Readers in London, and it's going to be a comedy debate, a comedy debate between some of your trash future favorites and the motion is going to be this house believes that elon monk elon <laughs> <laughs> this, this mf said elon monk <laughs> i can't i can't talk anymore this is the thing i've oh, been good noticing for your job yeah could, i, I know be great on for phone. my job yeah I just I just say stuff wrong all the time now. I like just it's, it's anecdotes. Big fucking big, Elon Monk. <laughs> big Ben bonging for Brexit has like introduced a <laughs> yeah. worm into all of our brains that makes us not talk good anymore. <laughs> well, I'm going to change the name of our group chat. Yeah. Fuck you, anyway, beat me to it. I was going to do. We're gonna that. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a debut. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a debut about Elon Monk and whether or not he is the Willy Woonka of his day. <laughs> say it, okay, now say it normal so people uh, know. The, the motion will be: This house believes Elon Musk is the Willy Wonka of the modern era. Uh, uh, so far, it's definitely featuring uh, me, uh, your boy Riley. Is going to be featuring Olga Koch and Rajiv Karia. Yes, uh, I will be moderating. I will. Okay, actually, Ollie, you've got a large supply of costumes, right? Yeah. Do you have a powdered wig? Uh, what kind? 
Of course. <laughs> I love that you answered that question with a question. <laughs> the kind that the moderator of a distinguished debate might wear. Mm, oh no. Or any powdered wig, really. Just like um, just Ollie going into a walk-in closet full of powdered wigs and like thinking <laughs> very hard about this. I'm like, well, <laughs> no, uh, you, well, you're thinking of the other YouTuber, I think, Alice. No, um, <laughs> I do, I do have a few, a few wigs. Um, probably nothing like the formal kind. They're usually a bit more like ragtag. Mm. You know what? I think a, wi- a wig will do. Any wig. I might be able to hook you up with a wig. Pick a wig, any wig. <laughs> this game with three card Monty is really strange. No, so we've dithered around for, no- for a long time, and the British people have said enough to dither and delay. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. I've decided there's been an, an article in the New York Times doing the rounds that I think it would be remiss. It, we'd be remiss mm. to not talk about, um, which was this article about Clearview AI. Now, mm. Clearview AI is a, an artificial intelligence system for image recognition, and it's exactly as dystopian as it sounds with its anodyne name. Basically, is this finally going to help me find like the porn that I'm nostalgic for? It might <laughs> just reverse <laughs> image search, but just for like the porn that exists in your brain. It, like it will scrub old issues of FHM and stuff. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. you can find you can finally find out what like what car Lucy Pinder was standing on in 2005. <laughs> yes. no, no, no. I need I need to do a meta analysis of every ap- of every uh, edition of Nuts and Loaded. <laughs> That's such a hilarious. That's a the last epoch of British culture was defined by when lads mags were around and culturally significant, and there seemed to be an infinite number of them. Yeah, Damn. that really was they, the end of history. Was Jodie Foster talking about her boobs? Jodie Foster. Wait, from from Contact. Oh, fuck. from the no, silence Jody, of the Jody Marsh. Anyway, okay. <laughs> right, so I've, I've just just defamed like a a, a a talented actor there. She's probably talked about her boobs. Yeah. I missed the time that she was in FHM, it's though. That would have been a very interesting Yeah, that would have been great. We'd have all tuned in for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just sending an AI completely insane by making it read every back issue of Max Power magazine. <laughs> and, like, no, so- look, at, look at the Sayat Leon hot hatch as as modelled by, like, Busty Kelly from Essex. <laughs> then you've just, like, created an artificial Jeremy Clarkson in a box. <laughs> oh, damn. GPT-2 has gone too far. We have to oh, t- take an axe to this thing. I can't believe mm. I can't believe we've managed to automate Jeremy Clarkson's <laughs> job. <laughs> um, it's just a, okay, okay. It's just an a more racist Andrew Tate. <laughs> okay, moving. Okay, moving. Moving things along. Voice. Okay. Okay. Um, so with Clearview, you take a picture of a person, you upload it to see every single public photo of that person that's ever been on the internet, along with links to where those photos appeared and other information around it. Mm-hmm. So the system is a ba- is a database of more than three billion images that Clearview claims to have scraped from Facebook, YouTube, Venmo, and millions and millions of other websites. It goes w- far beyond any facial rec- recognition ever attempted by anyone anywhere. Damn, I hate it when they get my nudes off my Venmo account. <laughs> they, um, soon they will be reading all of our private snaps, and mm. it's specifically for law enforcement. And it's been coded in such a way that the software has been designed to work with augmented reality technology, meaning that a police officer wearing Google Glass, basically, could potentially use AI, a Clearview AI, to determine everything about you, your identity, your address, your criminal record, whatever, just mm. by looking at you. And it will display on like a head-up display. Damn, what if Finally. the cops are the cops? Yeah. Damn. Finally, technology that could display to you whether someone's in the right bathroom or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we, this is, fuck, uh, noted uh, sort of middling Ubisoft game watchdogs predicted this. 
you just have like a little thing on your phone that tells you a little fact about everyone you walk past. Oh no, I hate when people hit triangle to hack me. Yes, Damn. this is the future we're heading yeah. towards. I had to turn off the thing on my phone when I was on Little St. James's Island. It became unnerving. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, oh, that this will never be used to target any of the Little St. James people. No. no. Um, in fact, because... <laughs> people of Little St. James. Because many of the... <laughs> the indigenous Little St. James's... Oh, no. No, we are not going down. We are not going down. We are not going down this road. Um, I forgot we were the chaos configuration. Yeah. Um, right, so... We're, I'm waiting for the yams turn midway through this one. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, basically, um, scraping is against the terms of services of all of these sites, mm-hmm. uh, but Clearview was just able to do it. And oh, well, that's good. Illegalists. That's we stand. Yeah, just doing Taking practice on the by being joints. like, fuck you, we're going to do the thing. Yeah, disobeying the terms of service, is, especially to help the cops, is... Um, that is the like, most punk thing you can do. That's basically all Rage Against the Machine ever sang about. <laughs> all, the, all the new Tory MPs are going to be really in favour of buying this technology until it scrapes all the pictures of them off the website of swingers clubs in Romford. <laughs> uh... No, that's not me. <laughs> Wait, no. I just, I tried to, I that's tried to not me. I, I seem to be from Yorkshire. <laughs> I, I've never given, I've never even been to Romford. It's, it's, it's part of the northern powerhouse things. We just tow Romford yeah. north. <laughs> if, if we can relocate the House of Lords to York, we can re- relocate Romford. <laughs> I can't, I cannot do accents. I will never be able to do a regional English accent. So, mm. We should go back to this thing, which we should all legitimately be very worried about, yes. because it's basically saying facial rec- recognition, which will be widespread, which in fact already is widespread in the U.S. and Canada. It's being used mm. by hundreds and hundreds of police departments. We'll get we'll we'll get to how they actually got their hands on it, and they're using it basically to just with it with a seventy five percent accuracy rate, which is in a criminal justice context not that high. Mm. Ah. No. And they're using it to solve cases in minutes. Incredible. I love that the police can use a 75% accurate tool to solve cases in minutes. I love living in the future of Minority Report, but all the people in control of the Minority Report are implicated like, in huge pedophilia scandals. The, the thing is, this isn't a huge Minor. advancement because there was a previous piece of police technology that allowed them to make uh, a similarly low identification rate called lying and what we've done now is just mm. automate lying to say that someone fits the description so yeah, alice is alice has hit upon an interesting point here because i mean i, I don't want to like undermine the uh, the entire podcast's uh, shtick but um no, a lot that, of that's that is my oh job. no my sh- oh no my <laughs> shtick a lot of, a lot of these claims about what this technology can do are based on what the company themselves said so like 75 percent is like according to them and mm. I, to, to all you listeners out there who who listen to Trash Feature on the reg and, and and like maybe get alarmed about some of the technologies that are discussed, I, I want to recommend a book by Robert Elliott Smith called Rage Inside the Machine because a lot of algorithms and AI is just like bollocks. Mm. It just like doesn't work. It's massive oversimplification. Um, and like gathering loads of data through surveillance and using algorithms to crunch it is a fucking terrible and unreliable idea. And they will of course say 
we can identify you with 75% accuracy and we can scrape everything. But probably what it actually does is it'll take a photo of you and then just like recommend somebody who looks nothing like you who will then just get arrested. Yeah, so, they, like, they've it's, literally it's, they've just applied yeah. state violence to that app that Google did that was like, what fine art painting do you look like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is like very scary, um, but not for the reason that they could like yeah. potentially identify you everywhere you go. I hate so, it when they arrest the Venus de Milo for my crimes. Are you, well done. Are, you, are you saying my celebrity lookalike could take the fall for my crimes? <laughs> all, all I'm saying is that, like, however good this technology Ezra is, Koenig, no! you're depending on cops to be the ones to implement it. Just turning yeah. this piece of, like, fascinating, faceted technology over in their thick, pudgy, racist fingers and going, is this a kind of grenade or? <laughs> yeah. well, so- what this has just made me think of was, I remember when we were talking about, I can't even remember who the guest was now, but this was ages ago, we were talking about uh, like fake automation and when like you have like a little cleaning robot in your house, but what you don't realize is someone in Guatemala is actually being paid $3 an hour oh, to control it by remote control. Labor. I hate when I have to work in the facial surveillance yeah. farm. Well, this is now what I'm thinking. They've got like a huge fucking facial recognition farm in China. Yeah, and I just have to like a bunch of guys going like, I don't know, faces. you people all look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the team behind all this? Because that's where this gets interesting. Because Ollie mm. is right. Most of these claims about effectiveness are total horseshit. However, there are also a lot of police departments that are claiming that this helps them put people behind bars. Now, there's also a lot of incentive for them to lie about it. Yeah, and and lying every- court. Like, it, how much is this going to stand up in, in, like, when it's used in a prosecution? Uh uh, I mean, that's, we, that's we gonna be fucking found... interesting because here's the thing. What, what is here's what the is thing. the scientific basis of this relative to something like, say, a polygraph test, which the conservatives have just talked about bringing back in, even though we know they don't work? Mm. Uh, yeah, is is that going to be like probative evidence? Is it going well, to be like Alice. persuasive? We don't know. Alice, what you've forgotten is that all of the backers of this company, both on a mm. in a conceptual, financial, and also just even like their sales team are high-ranking Republican operatives who are friends with all the judges that Donald Trump appointed. So I don't think that evidence from the company that they're all invested in is going to get thrown out. Mm. Damn. Cop this, zone. This is very, very similar to, to military applications of AI. I gave a lecture at The Hague um, a year and a bit ago about the use of AI in warfare. And there's a lot of like very similar issues there. In that it, what it really does is, people are like, oh, it's going like, to revolutionize how we do it. It really just like, makes the business of making stupid mistakes faster and more mm. efficient. And then, like, huh. give, gives you an excuse to not think about the mistakes that you have made. I mean, really, the scary bit about this is that this technology was sold to police departments who paid public money for it and then just, like, aren't, aren't aware, first mm. of all, that it's bollocks. And, and second of all, are just, like, are, are inclined to use it and, and are able to use it with no public accountability or oversight. There's no process where they have to go, we need to consult the public before we're allowed to deploy this technology. They can just fucking do it. That's the scary thing. We have found that the technology is not always successful at identifying individuals, but is highly successful at identifying what race they are <laughs> and thereby whether or not they are guilty. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the story about of this technology. Who's behind it all? So in 2015, a uh, Vietnamese-Australian failed model and serial failed app developer, app developer malware maker, alleged guitarist uh, named Hoan Ton That created, either by mistake or on purpose, a piece of video sharing malware and then a program called Trump Hair, which added Donald Trump's uh, hair to people in a photo. His alleged Both hair. Of- 
Yes, both Damn, of these. So if Donald Trump used it, he'd have his own hair twice. Yes, both of these double hair. Both mm. of these just fizzled out Very immediately. Fantastic hair. Yeah, he's he's Jez, he's Jez from Peep Show, but Trump, <laughs> Jezzled Trump. So in 2017, Mr. Ton Thatt founded Clearview with a man named Richard Schwartz and backing from Peter Thiel. So our question is, how did an Australian failed model and serial like failed app developer like he's tried to make a bunch mm. of programs that just didn't work like Trump hair? So how specifically did the guy who made Trump hair get to this position? Well, he's really so, hot, so... He, like, he is hot. He is fairly just, hot, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'd say like an eight. Yeah. So what I happened was... generous, but... Richard Schwartz and... and, and I like and a Hong twink. Sue me. Met in 2016 at a book event at something called the Manhattan mm. Institute, a conservative think tank based in New York. Pause. The Manhattan Institute... Not only is the respectable face of a ton of Coke funding, it also has deep connections through the Partnership for the City of New York to J.P. Morgan, Pfizer, IBM, and basically every hedge fund. It's been huh. the ideological and financial force behind movements to challenge Obamacare. It pushed broken window policing in the 1990s and so forth. And whose in-house magazine published an op-ed sympathizing with the Christchurch shooter. Weird. Normal. They're also cucks, though, right? Because they're all never Trump Republicans. I think they're Trump now. Ah, uh, but, but still, though, they they were big into like Marco Rubio and stuff. Yes. Well, they saw Trump with his hair on his hair, and then were like, "Damn, now we like him." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Double yeah, hair. The, I love the emergence of the eventually Trump Republican. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Mister Mister Schwartz, so Richard Schwartz, uh, sixty one, had amassed an impressive Rolodex working for. Oh, he invented Pepper. Rudy Giuliani. No. Oh. Oh, that oh, guy from the nineteen nineties with the normal brain. Oh <laughs> yeah. So he worked for Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, New York's last actual Italian mayor. <laughs> oh, listen, this guy, this guy made this app, and now I look like I got fucking hair <laughs> for once in my life. Well, what did so what also, does he actually do for Giuliani? Like so, Schwartz oversaw New York City's privatization and government re reorg initiatives, including oh, the cool. creation of the city's Department of Information, Telecoms, and Tech, and also directed the city's $4.2 billion capital construction program, um, and also was responsible for implementing the city's landmark welfare-to-work program, which basically pushed half a million people off of the welfare rolls. And 1990s, when he was advising Giuliani, was mm. when we introduced broken window policing, which, as you any sort of... Uh, a student student of history will know was basically used as a pretext for the cops to terrorize minorities. And here he here's Richard Schwartz again now, coming up with like the business connections um, th through the Republican Party and presumably some of the mm. funding for cops to terrorize minorities. It's weird how whenever huh. you need uh, some kind of like database or computer system in order to like slightly automate some state brutality, you keep seeing the same five people or so, and it's just like, mm. oh yeah, it, it, it's nice to see your CV expand. You did this exact same evil shit for like the mayor's yeah. office back in the day, and now we're catching up with you again. Yeah, and so one of the otter pitches of the company, actually, was not to a police officer, but rather they, they tried to sell their technology to open neo-Nazi Paul Nalen. Are you suggesting that an open neo-Nazi is quantitatively different from a police officer? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. We, li we, live, we live in a society. Uh, nous vivons en société. Mm. Uh, to use as, quote, unconventional databases for extreme oppo research. That's when you snowboard into mm. the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> like, a bit of, like you ramp over them and then you like slam into a sprite machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but now, you take some photos while you're above. They never actually did do that, but they 
tried to. Mm. Um, Wait, are you, are you saying that the Nazi <laughs> was like... Nazi collaborated. <laughs> <laughs> it's so worse than fucking Coco more Chanel. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like you know it's like wartime France and you're just showing up to collaborate with the Nazis and they're actually like we've actually got quite a lot of collaborators yeah. at the moment well, but if you just if you leave your CV with us <laughs> like we'll call you if anything comes I up. I hate when I do we a know where Nazi internship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's actually happening now is that Clearview has deployed current and former Republican officials to police forces up and down the country mm. uh, in the states. To offer free trials or annual licenses. Ollie, you were talking about like mm. spending public money on these big boondoggles. It's actually not a big boondoggle because they're basically offering it for like next to free. They're offering it for $2,000 a year. Damn. Yeah, you, you could get that- like a quarter of a Photoshop license for that. Mm. <laughs> and it would be about as effective. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's the alarming bit. I mean, we can go through this rogues gallery of... of- Twinks and con artists and and villains who spend massive amounts of money on this. And villainous twinks. But the bottom line is that it doesn't fucking work. Or, or like, if it does, it's not actually as effective as they claim it is. Mm. The scary bit is that people are just using this without any oversight. Um, I mean, I'm sure we could laugh all day at people's like silly names and lollipop photos about as to who invented it. But the the scary thing is, and, and what interests me from a philosophy background about it is that there's a philosopher called Evgeny Morozov who talks about the philosophy of technology. And he points out, I think I might have even said this on the show before, that once you build a tool to do a specific job, it becomes very difficult to then question whether that job needs doing. Mm. Once you have built the facial recognition database, it's very difficult to turn around and go, do we really need this or not? Um, it's like the opposite of, um, or the corollary of, uh, if, you, if all you have is a hammer, all your, all your problems are like nails. Mm. And once you have decided that you need to drive a nail in, all the tools that you build will look like hammers. Mm. That's, that's why that's the scary bit. And that's yes. why that ferry company didn't have any ferries because they weren't going to build any ferries because they were still in the stage of questioning whether or not the channel needed to be crossed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and actually, no, I, the Tories I, I, found I, that I to be a persuasive like the, argument. Not to like ruin your metaphor there, but I feel like the ship has sailed. Like, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen the Met Police trialing like facial recognition vans and stuff and arresting people for trying to avoid them. Uh, yeah, no, this, this this is like it, it. This is long since gone. I've I've been hammering the thing for a while now that stuff like niqab bans aren't just about Islamophobia. They're also about making it impossible to like cover your face in a public place. Uh, th- yeah. So this this is all well advanced, and whether mm. or not this thing works, or whether it's successful or not, there will always be something else. There will always be another twink, and mm. sooner or later, one of those twinks will get their way. And that's that. I think is is what the listeners' takeaway can be because I know I often listen to this podcast and and feel very anxious and overwhelmed that I don't know who all this list of names and people are. But it seems to me that the bottom line of this issue is that like people should not be allowed to use facial recognition yeah. without public uh, oversight, uh, especially absolutely. when it is like it has not even been proven to be effective. And never mind the fact that it's like mm. completely immoral sure. and, and that mm. should not be implemented without oversight. That's that, yeah. I, that is one thing. Like as as something about the podcast, not to like talk about the podcast on the podcast, mm. but like of course. Uh, I, I feel like when we do Meta. the the personality Meta. stuff, that's that that to me is entertainment, right? Like yes. th- this is an entertaining weird guy that we're talking about. This kind of like mm. uh, you Google him and you find he has a bunch of videos of himself playing acoustic guitar and stuff. Well, you might have Googled him, but I use this app that actually just I took a photo of him in the <laughs> street yeah, yeah, and then yeah. scraped all of his guitar. <laughs> Wait, hang on, it's Lawrence Fox. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what we actually want to be doing is the materialist analysis, mm. and that's the, the the sort of the the sugar to help the medicine go down is the identity stuff of being like, isn't this guy funny? But we're trying to get you to actually think about uh, some like material causes here. 
Do you, yeah, because if mm. all you have is that isn't this guy funny, then I mean, you yeah. might as well just be. Have I got news for you? Yes. yes. Mm. Uh, we don't have any news. Um, no. However, I think the other thing, uh, the other thing I want to pull out of this particular story, is the way in which it seems like a large amount of the United States Republican Party was just able to coalesce around this and push it out to everyone they wanted it to get to, huh. and then create a marketing ap- apparatus after the fact of. Look at all of these wonderful, um, what these wonderful things. If, if I mean, only there was some kind of name for a, a, a structure that existed above something and like mm. it had some kind of ideology. Mm. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm getting full. That that is true. However, I'm like, I, I'm getting these just this the the fact of just like the strange confluence of everyone, just the sort of the the the. The oddness of of Ton Thad is just this guy who makes these dumb apps who all of a sudden is mm-hmm. making what, uh, as Ollie points out, might just be another dumb failed app. But like just the fact that he was able to get all of this capital and political power yeah. marching in lockstep behind this crazy idea, it just is so powerfully weird. But that's, He's got it- a deeply Lee Harvey Oswald vibe. Mm. Like, I'm like, huh. <laughs> That's weird about how the you know the JFK who had all these really powerful enemies was assassinated by this guy yeah. no one had ever heard of before and seemed kind of like a simpleton L- who would be incapable Oswald. of carrying out this kind of assassination. <laughs> a- another sure. evil twink. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then that simpleton was murdered by another simpleton who was then also murdered. <laughs> it's just, I, you know what it is? I think it's the Manhattan Institute, right? Is Yeah, that's it, what got it for me. That's it, what like got it, my it, brain it, it firing is literally, on 12 it's the, cylinders. It's the long table where the guy in network is talking about the, the forces of nature, Mr. Beale. That's like, it is the smoky room, right? Uh, and mm. it's, it, it doesn't even have to be a conspiracy or anything. It's just networking. You can get this this twink in the same room as Peter Thiel, and Peter Thiel will give him some money and some access, and then, because everyone's in the same room with everyone else, it just kind of snowballs. It's like fucking yeah. Davos. It doesn't have yeah. to be, like, lizard people or anything, it's just, it, it, it fucking- Just rich people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Adam Smith. It is, it, it, uh, uh, people of the same, of the same industry meeting and, uh, inevitably forming a conspiracy against the public. Yeah. Exactly. Damn. Um, uh, one other thing to add the about invisible the- hand touching a human face forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny to me, by the way, that the Adam Smith Institute is an example of something Adam Smith was roasting at the time. Mm. So, um, Jane Nancaro, a Facebook spokesman, said the company was reviewing the situation with Clearview and will take appropriate action if they find they are violating our rules, which they are. But mm. Mr. Teal, a Clearview investor, sits on Facebook's board. <laughs> So huh. what appropriate <clears throat> action is Facebook empowered mm. to take? I mean, the appropriate action is all of this data will be deleted. You will be fined or sent to prison, Mr. Tom Fat, for, for massive surveillance crimes. And this technology will be outlawed. Like, how does Facebook think that they're going to be able to take that appropriate action? Mm. Uh, well, Mark Zuckerberg could be a late entry into the Democratic primary, then become president uh, with all of his very human appeals, humanly, yeah. that he'll do to Mark humans. Zuckerberg is going to go to their office and just stare at them silently, ever so slightly too close to their face, <laughs> until they agree to undo whatever yeah, they just did. I imagine Mark Zuckerberg is probably very upset that somebody managed to do creepy surveillance potentially better than him. <laughs> Damn it, this is my whole thing! <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I want to I want to close down our Clearview segment, uh, and I want to clear my mind of Clearview, mm. which to people who enjoy um, ads for Clear Blue on can- pregnancy tests and Canadian television, that will be a callback for them. Um, 
Uh, now, the facial recognition software can already tell you that whether you're pregnant or not, thereby uh, making the pregnancy test redundant. Oh, yeah. The cop just walks by you and it's like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> uh, so. Be like, uh, what? We're, we're, we're going to move on. Um, Ollie, I was hoping, could you quickly just really quite fast tell me what the soul of England is and what it means to be British? These questions that have been plaguing me- uh, mediocre novelists in their parents' barber jackets for about 50 years, I figure we could knock this out in the next segment. Yeah, I think we probably can. Um Funnily enough, I was having this discussion with a friend the other day, and we came to the conclusion that the soul of being English, or at least white English, is having absolutely no chill about anything. Hmm. I think being hmm. being English and white is having the potential to just get incandescently furious at entirely made-up shit. Like that, that, that article you had about Meghan Markle a while ago, with a woman who just entirely made up a fan fiction scenario and got mad about it. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's the idea that you can just be livid uh, because a hypothetical foreigner might enjoy something in a public space that you wouldn't have to ever see them enjoy. I, I think that's the soul of English, is having absolutely no chill about anything. Mm. Are, are you suggesting yeah. that the soul of our great and pleasant land is getting absolutely furious that bread is halal? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I am. I demand that my bread is soaked in pork fat so as to make it not halal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like that, that one guy's steak that he sent to uh, Lawrence Oh, Fox. God, that was Just so the, unnerving. The, the cube of grey meat. Mm. Yeah, it's true. There is nothing more British than like boiling a steak until it's like white yes. and then chewing on it for like what 45 minutes or so because like you think that somewhere some vegan who dares to think they're better than you mm. will get momentarily upset yes own, I mean, the, own the libs own the libs that, they wouldn't guy, fucking like that in brussels would they that guy who posted his fucking like eight hour microwave steak was like he was right in that he did trigger the libs because he triggered everyone who's ever eaten anything ever who looked at that <laughs> and was like good god man no <laughs> But I, but I'd like to, I'd like to pull us, pull us back off of, off of Twitter. God, um, it's so hard we, not to do Twitter review. I know it is, but that's why I'm mm. here. So we've been talking about about Britishness uh, a little bit uh, before coming on, and how this plays actually into uh, England, England specifically, and Britain to I think a lesser extent. Uh, re- psychotic relationship with its royals, the weird possessiveness, the sort of strange prostate prostrate bootlicking. <laughs> Ch- <laughs> change prostate name of bootlicking. Prostrate bootlicking. Hell prostrate. Yeah. Fucking been there, but prostrate bootlicking. Uh, but also mm. the like incredible aggression they're able to show if they don't fit the boxes that they want them to fit. Mm. Right. Well, they certainly and fit Diana into a box in the end. We have attempts. <laughs> And we have these attempts to separate British nationalism uh, from the trappings of our empire. For example, we, you, you have re- like the tr- attempts to sort of reclaim a liberal sort of nationalism. Like, oh, British values are actually about cosmopolitanism and openness and um, yeah, well, toleration like, and all this. When, when we talked to Devon about that and we yeah, had exactly. all of the, like, uh, mm. the forward thinking stuff like niceness and queuing. Mm. Mm. And and how there is queuing <laughs> to be deported. There's the this, most but, but there's this sense among actual British nationalists that oh those aren't really British values, but they'll always get mad if you tell them that they're not. It's a strange, strange dialectical relationship. Mm. Yeah, it is very interesting. I mean, I, I was I was struck by um, I remember there's a there's a college near where I used to go at the gym where they had like they had to have pictures of British values on the walls, and it was all the stuff you talked about a couple of weeks ago, like democracy and rule of law and stuff. And it struck me that those values are no more intrinsically British than they are American or Japanese. It's just, it's very mm. odd. Um, and it's almost like you're not allowed to point that out. Um, something that I'm just very interested in in my, my research is um, 
the technical term would be epistemological lacunae, which sounds very tough, but it's like shit you're not allowed to know. Things you're not allowed to say. And you're not even allowed to know that you're not allowed to know them. Um, like uh, the other day, um, the, I saw the, the BBC had a, a thing on, uh, they were talking about the, the fact that Harry and, and Meghan have, have resigned and stepped away from the royal family. And the BBC, as we know, have their pretensions towards uh, political neutrality. And I realised mm. that they will never, ever go from a report by the Royal Correspondent and they go, and now for the sake of balance, we will turn to one of the several million people in Britain who thinks that we shouldn't have a royal family. Um, they will never, ever do that. And it's, it struck me that one of the things about being English stroke British that you're not allowed to know is you're not allowed to know that the royal family is a political institution. This is mm. very weird. Like it's it's like you're not allowed to point that out. Mm. Well, we don't we don't have a less majesty law in this country, but I would like to know what would be different if we did. Mm. I mean, that's mm. there would be what would be different. I think Alice is that is that um, first of all, Pizza Express's problems <laughs> would be over. <laughs> I mean, they're going into administration at the moment, but I think we could sort them out pretty quick, sharp. But if we if we did have a law like that, I think the difference would be that ineffectual campaigns that will never be taken seriously to get the that the royals recognized as a political institution that can be challenged and eventually you know abandoned would become illegal but materially that would basically change nothing mm-hmm. it would be it would be um if you want to do a base and superstructure it would just be a change to the superstructure it would it, it would not change who actually has power in this country it would not challenge any kind of material basis of power even the small material base of power that the royals actually control it would be basically a change in window dressing but yeah and that's just another weird aspect of the royal family is it's almost like you're not even allowed to point out the fact that they don't have political power mm. that they are just like weird celebrity figureheads who are used to construct this category of, of Britishness, that they are used as this kind of smokescreen for our nation's history that prevents us from learning about good stuff and bad stuff. They're just, they're, they're, they're weird. They're like, the royal family, are, they're like that ancient Greek um, pool in Hades where you go in it and you forget. It's like, it's, they're just some kind of weird drug mm-hmm. that causes people to just forget what the fuck they're thinking. The waters of Lethe. Yeah. That's um, the one. Thank you, Alice. Oh, my pleasure. No, uh, ju- jurisprudentially, what, th- this is like to, like, uh, steal philosophy away from you and 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 do a law Please. thing since that's my thing uh it it it's a legitimizing factor it's a, it's a little sort of pious narrative that we all have that you know the the queen is this nice old lady and you know all of the all of the laws and stuff well they they kind of derives from her in a in a vague distant sense that we don't actually want to really get into because that complicates things suddenly mm. and mm. i think that as going going from there if we say our laws derive from the queen rather than our laws derive from, say, the mm. political control of our area or um, mm. in previous um, decades, other people's areas and our ability mm. to just subjugate them. Yes. Then we no, can. It, it, then that's why you could say that like people who this is why you could say equally that people who protested the Iraq war and people who protested the Boer war, the same rat fucking techniques were used against both of them. They were called pro-Boer or like pro-terrorist yes. or whatever. Yes, of because- course. And, and it's also, it, it's another layer of uh, sort of, uh, of, of this smokescreen that's thrown over how power actually works in this country. And that on, on the one hand, you have this like level of uh, parliamentary sovereignty, which is this idea with its own um, sort of internal contradictions and stuff. But like the formal narrative laid over that is that law in this country derives from the crown in council in parliament. Uh, and that's this very, very strange sort of fairy tale that we decide to tell ourselves. I think smokescreen is exactly the right, right kind of word, Alice. Um, 
There's a, a philosopher, a conservative philosopher called Thomas Sowell, who says that culture is a way of creating shortcuts in decision making. Mm. Um, a really easy example would be like, um, of the potentially infinite things I could choose to wear to this wedding, mm. what am I going to wear? Well, as a man in Britain, culture tells me suit and tie, okay? You just shortcut the decision. Um, and I, mm. culture can like help you shortcut questions and discourse and, and values as well. And I think the royal family is so often used as this catalyst to just shortcut discussions about power. Um, and about who's like really in charge, and about history as well. Just imagining the huge cultural flowchart the royals use about what to wear to a wedding. Like, oh, I need to decide what I'm going to wear. Every to this option wedding. just ends in like um, gollywog brooch. I should, yeah, yeah, racist <laughs> brooch. Yeah. Uh, that was exactly where I was going. Just drawers and drawers and drawers of racist jewelry. Uh, yeah, each yeah. nationality represented. All different kinds. Yeah. So, uh, I uh, I want to um actually I, I've I've also got a little bit of uh, philosophy of my own and in fact this is specifically to either delight or infuriate friend of the show Eleanor Yaniga mm. we'll see which one it does um and this is from a book I read some years ago that um when Ollie and I were talking about doing the show around this topic as the segment two I I immediately my mind jumped to this book it's called The King's Two Bodies a study in medieval political theology by er- mm. Ernst Kantorowitz. Uh, it was written in 1957. I'm seeing double over here. Two leviathans. Yeah. <laughs> so out, of, uh, out of shape to thick in six weeks. <laughs> so, the king has two bodies, uh, a body natural and a body politic. His body natural uh, is a body mortal, subject to all infirmities that come by nature or accident, to the mm. imbecility or infancy of old age, and to the like defects that happen to the natural bodies of other people. And curvaceous. But, but his body politic is a body that cannot be seen or handled, consisting of policy and government, and constituted for the direction of the people and the management of the public wheel. And this body is utterly devoid of infancy and old age and other natural defects and imbecilities, which the body natural is subjected to. And for this cause, what the king does in his body politic cannot be invalidated or frustrated by any element of his natural body. That's the basic explanation of the king's two bodies. You exist in two ways. It's very convenient as well if the body natural is accused of sex crimes. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or you just say it was the body politic. Well, how, how, how could she have touched the penis of the body politic so, when the body politic doesn't have a penis? The body politic does not sweat. So, <laughs> that sounds like a good episode title. Yeah. Um, so, what I'm sort of getting at here is that the royals themselves establish Britishness in as much as Britishness flows from them in a way that is you're not allowed to understand, but you sort of you know, but you can't say. It's a mystery. Um, it's it's a mystery yeah. in the religious and the in the Catholic sense for such an anti-Catholic institution. Uh, and mm. Mm. like this is such a a Western European view of monarchy, of course, because we don't have. A mandate of heaven, right? We don't have this idea that the the, the king and the land are one, and uh, the one is reflected in the other, and that if the, if the land is is troubled, then there is some like defect in the ruler, uh, because we have this this whole um, uh, this this formulation of of the leviathan of yeah. the body politic. Um, I mean, to be fair, the land is pretty troubled, and just look at the rulers. That's so. true. <laughs> so, yeah, so maybe, like maybe we should bring shit. that back. Maybe we should. Maybe we should, we should adopt some like Confucianism and be like, like so, the worse the worse the economy starts going, like suddenly Matt Hancock has like a hunchback and yeah. stuff. We, 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 we have to we have to overthrow the royal family on the basis that they are filially impious and are no mm. longer deserving of power. So, um, what I what I sort of uh, take from this though is that. Because we have these, again, as you describe them, Alice, mysteries, as you say, Ali, epistemological lacunae, um, specifically around these, the royals, we end up 
or the category of Britishness that is a category of loyalty, nostalgia, and acceptability within the body politic described above. And it's more than a mere category of citizenship. You're not a Brit. It's you can be a British citizen, but still not be British because you could, for example, be a Republican or a leftist, mm. which makes you an infiltrator well, of some the, kind. The, the, or the, you the, could the be frothing, a terrorist. The frothing id of Thatcherism, Norman Tebbit, had a preoccupation with this that I think really does just say the quiet part loud. And his thing was uh, immigrants, specifically South Asian immigrants, uh, whether or not they had integrated enough by whether th- or they would cheer for England cricket or India or Pakistan or wherever. Uh, and I feel like that's the sort of thing that we're getting at there. Uh, you you have this very strange distinction with Britishness about like uh, where that loyalty is, and you have to have this nostalgia. You have to have strong feelings, strong sentiments towards a cricket team. Uh, you also have to be the kind of madman who enjoys cricket. Yes, but yes, but that's exactly the thing. It, cricket on the one hand, royalty on the other. There's no rhyme or reason for why these things should be important because you you mm. don't you don't deserve one, right? That they're, they're just they're they're tied so deeply into what we have decided Britishness is that you can't be like, well, actually, I don't really care about cricket or I don't really care about the royals unless you have that assumed Britishness already. So long as you're positioned outside it, you're constantly going to have to be asked to justify it and like make these shows of loyalty. I often feel like cricket as a sport was invented as a psyop to ensure that the British aristocracy died either of skin cancer or of concussions. <laughs> oh, it, it was um, it was actually invented during the Peninsular War by soldiers who would have often months on end with nothing to do. So they invented a game that would deliberately take forever to play. Like the first Fantastic. cricket game started in like 1778 or something, and we're still waiting to find out the results. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, this yeah. is also how they invented Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, during the Peninsular War, the yes. British soldiers... Actually- yes, that's yeah. exactly it, yeah. The Duke of Wellington, mm. first dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the, the documentary shop. My man probably had some dungeons, so, to what, be fair. What, something that occurred to me, um, just from the Meghan Markle and, and Harry resigning thing, is how much... I mean, you were talking about royal bodies. How much royalty can Hell be yeah. conferred... Yeah. How much royalty can be conferred upon some bodies much more easily than others. I mean, I mean the, the coverage of... Meghan Markle, whatever you think of the royal family in this country, has been absolutely grossly racist mm. um, from from day one. Um, so she doesn't look like us. She doesn't have a weird, fucked up jaw. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But um, royalty uh, is its own race. To be fair, like yeah. they are, like they have now did, like, they've moved away from being white into a whole new category of being yeah, super white, um, yeah. transparent. Uh, but yeah, it's like again, like the role of whiteness in in nationalism and national identity is again one of those things that you're also not allowed to know. I mean, witness when when Stormzy said that the UK was racist, absolutely, yeah, hundred um, percent. And everyone was like, "What? How dare you?" Like, racism is only saying the word and nothing else. It's weird mm. that we seem to have made some progress in that, that a lot of people will now publicly acknowledge that there is such a thing as capital P patriarchy, as distinct from any particular person saying a sexist word, right? But there will be, it's very, very difficult to get anyone to acknowledge that there's such a thing as capital W whiteness, a system of values and behaviors and, and habits that prioritize white lives over others. And it, it's, it's clear from the coverage of the royal family in the last few months that like whiteness is a major part of what people think of as royal and by extension English national identity. Mm. And it's really, it's really has been uh, an interesting barometer of quite how racist these structures are, because like, 
Meghan Markle is really like at the she's like the most palatable to white people black person you could imagine. Right. And that like, like she's like a princess. And the response has been yeah. so I mean, I really enjoyed um Ash Saka wrote an article about this uh recently, um, where she says that a lot of columnists have rediscovered that words like um uppity or difficult can be acceptable synonyms for black. Mm. Mm. Like I, I feel like America had its own uh sort of dalliance with this in the form of the extremely acceptable ticks all of the boxes constitutional legal scholar um patriots liberal uh everything you, you would want in a president all the kids yeah drone, yeah mm. did everything right and drove Peter Americans again. absolutely insane doing it barack obama uh that th- it's never ever going to be uh, good enough and I mean, Meghan Markle was was so palatable to whiteness and white supremacy that she literally joined the royal family. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, one of them and married she was in a, a ginger one, no less. Is this the whitest show? Um, so this there is. I think none of these sort of roles can be of of, of whiteness, uh, maleness, uh, class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, can really be understated. And the fact that, like, I think what's very interesting about them is that. When you look at it from this philosophical angle, you can see you can we can start to draw out like that these are things where we are we can know them, but you're not allowed to know them. And if you try to make someone know them, they'll get pissed at you. Yeah, or they will mm. use something like the royal family as a shortcut to get out of it. Mm. Like if you try, I've I've had conversations with people about the like the British history of slavery, for instance, and the shortcut they go to is oh, but we abolished it. Like you just you, it's like the argument just slides off the brain. They don't internalize it at all. There's a I forget who said it. It might have been Eric Williams, but there's somebody who has. This great quote where it's like, um, from reading accounts of British history, you think the British invented slavery purely so that they could abolish it. Mm. And like, <laughs> it's a shame, like, because, again, you're not, we're not allowed to know some of the history of our own nation. Not just some of the bad things that we've done, but also some of the well, good stuff as well, like the Bristol, the Bristol bus boycott. Because, then the crucial thing is, if you, if you allow yourself to know those things, then you're no longer in the body politic. Yeah. You are, because the, the body politic here is not defined, or at least it's not popularly defined by passport. In fact, it's explicitly not defined by passport because Sajid Javid, when he was home secretary, was saying, okay, if we define you as terrorist or related to a terrorist, we will strip you of your membership in the formal body politic. Mm-hmm. So it, these... It's all very normal. I was watching uh, Pretty Patel making some speech today about how you know she's going to introduce like just like oh well if you if you basically if you so much as look at a van or a bridge uh, you can just go to jail forever. Um, and I was like, it's weird, isn't it, how we've gotten to this point of like, oh, there are all these terrorists who want to take away our fundamental rights and freedoms. So I'm afraid the only way we're going to be able to stop them is by taking away all of our fundamental <laughs> rights and freedoms. <laughs> it is so like, it's like a really badly written satire from the Bush years about like giving up your liberty in exchange for security, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, but before, before we move on as well, um, also, I want to sort of look at the distinction between the English nationalism we've been talking about, because yes, we say British nationalism, but this is also a peculiar, peculiarly, peculiarly English version yes, although, of British although nationalism. I, I, I'm not against calling it British nationalism because it does it. That that is part of its like irredentism. It it, it claims Britishness for itself. You have this like English dominated sense of Britain, uh, mm. which other kinds of nationalism like. 
Scottish nationalism, or Irish nationalism, or Welsh nationalism, uh, or Cornish kind of, nationalism, or Cornish nationalism, <laughs> are, them. are oppositional it's, it's to. close behind Welsh nationalism in terms of overall relevance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, uh, please, go, please continue, Alice. You won't be saying that when Wexit happens. Mm. <laughs> but it's, it, I, I, I'm always very loath to, to concede to uh, the SNP, for instance, that Scottish nationalism is some progressive force. Uh, that certainly hasn't been the case with Irish nationalism, which went from, uh, you know, Connolly's socialist republic into uh, a Roman Catholic theocracy within the space of ten years. It, that always happens. Yeah, it's weird, mm. huh? Uh, it's I, almost as though the sectarian divisions in Ireland are driven heavily by conservative religious groups. It's, it's weird. Yeah, I, I can't foresee any kind of like parallels to this happening in the event of Scotland getting independence. Uh, anyway, yeah, no. Um, I, I, I suppose the thing is that everything, any kind of nationalism almost, looks progressive next to English nationalism because <laughs> it's that reactionary. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you, you can, so long as you're hoping to like have this oppositional relationship to it, it's very, very easy to do the sort of the popular liberal things and say, oh, we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna have baby boxes and we're gonna like do gay rights sometimes. Mm. And, so it's it's yeah. it's weird that then if you think if that the because the king or queen uh, embody is embodied familiarly mm. by so many people in in England. Then it creates all of these things that no one's allowed to say or know. You're not allowed to say or know that the royals are a political institution, or that the or that the British Empire was, you know, basically evil. No, you, you're not. You are not allowed to know how many people died in the Bengal famine. Yeah, but you're also not allowed to know how many British people like fought those things and did heroic, beautiful things. Like, no, like not. it's not just the bad history that I lament not being taught about in schools. I lament not being taught about the good stuff, like the Bristol bus boycott as well. Like, like sometimes, very occasionally, British people do incredibly beautiful, wonderful things that it's good to learn about, and we don't get to learn that either. And think, and thinking about thinking is, about the uh, the British International Brigades volunteers who had MI5 following them around uh, in between the end of the Spanish Civil War and the beginning of the Second World War for mm. premature anti-fascism. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to the fucking Dunkirk spirit again, doesn't it? Which we've mm. talked about on this podcast before, how that has like been co-opted as this almost like white nationalist symbol of how we're going to like stick two fingers up to Europe oh, and stop the sake. refugees yeah, it, or whatever. It, 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 and it, it, it's like, it is literally an incident of the British government going cap in hand to the working class of this country and being like, can you... Can you please go and not, go and get the lads? Only, not only not only this country, but like if you talk about this being one of those lacunae, if you talk about, for instance, Indian soldiers at Dunkirk, as there mm -hmm. were, you can see photos. That's woke now. Um, that's not uh, that's not respecting the troops and the heroes of World War II like we're we were all taught to. That mm. is pushing a political agenda on something that is entirely apolitical and is just facts. It's yeah, it, very strange. And this stuff goes deep as well. I remember when I began to turn against the royal family, and when I, I in my private heart, do not think that we should have a royal family. Shocking confession. I'm sure many people out there will miss that. I will be surprised. But I remember, I remember when I made that decision and realized that about myself. Mm. And there was a period of like deep shame. Yeah, my, you, my you God, were, you I were sitting on this horse, talking into a camera. I know, yeah. yeah. Well, if you've seen the if you've seen the video I made uh, mm -hmm. last year about it, um, but yeah, there, there was like a deep process of shame. So these things these things do go weirdly deep. And I did feel like I was like, oh my god, I like somehow betrayed my country. 
Whereas actually one of the things that helped ease me into it was not only I knew the arguments and thought they made sense, but also I realized that there are actually millions of people in Britain mm. who think that we shouldn't have a royal family and who, who do think like I do and are willing to entertain other notions of what it does mean to be English or British. Wait, I'm, I'm remembering something from the last segment where we said it's almost as though there is some kind of material base of power <laughs> and then a bunch of ideological belief systems spring up to make people think things in common that are in the interests of preserving that base. Well, who's to say? I mean, mm. just look at this picture of Megan's dress and don't <laughs> think about it. <laughs> just yeah. slamming my head in the car door. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say that dress looks like the dress of someone who hates Britain, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> not any poppies on it. No, no, there are no, no none. not nearly enough poppies. That's the thing. Just remember, she could... She could go out an entire dress full mm. of poppies and people would find a problem with Mega it. Meghan Markle wearing a heroin dress because she loves the <laughs> Taliban. <laughs> um, but also, you know, the other thing is it means that, like, you know, you get to... Every, everyone else gets to define themselves against this thing. And you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole lot of Plato's cave, basically. Mm. Is it? No, it's, it, it's a simulacra. Right. Yeah, it, there we go. We, we are all like standing around looking at this map, and outside the world that the map is depicting is like shrinking to match it. Yes. Mm. Uh, quite yeah, literally, in the sense that we are, we like spent hundreds of years drawing nice maps in like a nice pink color to match the, yeah. the, you know, the, the world outside that we thought we owned. Uh, and mm. we're, we're still there. We're still trapped, held prisoner, looking at this thing that we've created and going, oh, isn't it nice? Isn't it lovely? As the thing outside just changes. Uh, mm. And that is Baudrillard Minute. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I want to move on to the uh, to the final reading just, just here I, now. I, I love Baudrillard, by the way, because he'll say something like that that makes perfect sense when you think about it for a second and then hit you with, actually, 9-11 never happened. <laughs> <laughs> um. Like, uh, what, what, dude? <laughs> wow. I kind of, predicted 9-11 not happening. I, I, kind yeah. of liked, um, I kind of liked his, uh, his essay that the, about how the Iraq war never happened. Mm. Um, but uh, mm. I digress. <laughs> the Tony <laughs> Blair Institute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that one of, the, one of the, this is not relevant to anything, but one of the stated goals of the Tony Blair Institute is uh, to promote stability in the Middle East, which is just <laughs> like, it's just Another incredible. lacuna. There's another lacuna. Mm. Yeah, you're, just, you're not allowed to know that the, the Iraq war was, was... I mean, you're allowed to know that it was bad, but not in such a way that yeah. you never have, have material or moral consequences for any yeah. of those responsible. H having shoved someone onto this tightrope at bayonet point, I now want to encourage him to have stability. <laughs> mm. So, this, the reading is, is great. Uh, people have been sending this to us to do, and we're definitely... I'm very happy to be doing it. I co-founded Occupy Wall Street. Now I'm headed to Davos. Why? <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah. yeah, that's a good headline. Yeah. Is it just money? So that's it. <laughs> well, it, uh, it's so probably dumber is... than that. It's probably they asked me and I didn't want to seem rude. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So this is by Micah White, who, um, oh, by the way, damn it, Micah. Also, <laughs> mm. <laughs> Arthur, it's not about your dreams of a paradise. <laughs> um, what? We, we, are, we are all guessing black um. lung reading this. <laughs> so, Michael White, uh, who claims to be one of the co-founders of Occupy Wall Street, which is like tenuous okay. at best, because he um, he was the first to tweet the hashtag Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> It's not the same thing as being a co-founder. Did, did Occupy Wall Street have founders? Oh, it, did, it didn't have a power structure. It didn't really did have it? a power structure. Oh, it, I had, mean, it had a library, and that was about it. And a bunch of yeah. drum circles. Mm. 
Uh, and like like David Graeber also like is talked about as one of the founders of Occupy Wall Street. Um, what Michael White actually was uh, was um, he was one of the editors of the magazine Adbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that thing we love. That beautiful, beautiful magazine that uh, presented us with such such delight as the American flag, but each star is a different corporate logo. Nous oh. lisons dans une société. Yeah. We live <laughs> in a society. They, they were the first to be living in a society. I will yeah. give them nope. that much. Ad, ad, they were ad one of the co-founders of society. Hopefully someone <laughs> noticed I actually used the French verb for reading there because we're reading the magazine, but in a society. <laughs> thank uh, you. Good, good bilingual uh, joke. Yeah, so yeah, for, the, for those listeners who perhaps don't know, and also me, can you tell us a little bit about Adbusters? So Adbusters. Ad, Adbusters. Are you just jacking it to an ad? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how, how Michael White describes Adbusters, then Adbusters. Alice can uh, can swoop in with the real definition. Oh, please, yes. So he says, uh, Michael White said back when he was one of the co-founders of Occupy Wall Street in his capacity as editor at Adbusters. CEO of Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> 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 updated his LinkedIn profile. Quote, a uh, radical- Sir, I am the commander-in-chief of Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> a radical anti-consumerist, anti-corporate magazine that was beloved on the activist edges of society. <laughs> Okay, fine. Adbusters was the kind of shit that if you were a teen uh, coming of age in like the era of Rock Against Bush or Michael Moore books, you kind of were into for like six months and then you thought, well, this is kind of hacky actually. Like it's it, it, it mm. was a magazine and then also a bunch of other things like a media properties and stuff uh, that essentially like grew in a sort of tumor-like fashion off of uh, No Logo by Naomi Klein, mm. and decided that the real problem that, uh, in the society that we lived in was that kids couldn't recognize a maple leaf, but could recognize a Nike swoosh. Um, Damn. And, and that was sort of the whole bit. And so for, for a few years, I don't know how, when they ended or if they even did, but that, that was very much their thing, was this kind of really facile, anti-consumer, uh, like... Yeah, wake up sheeple kind of thing. You know how I got this swoosh. Oh, it still very much is. Exactly. My, my favorite, my favorite Adbusters thing was the trainer that they sold as like a an anti Nike trainer that cost like a hundred and thirty dollars. Uh, and instead of really like sticking a, it to consumerism, yeah, there and instead of a instead of a tick, it had like a spot, and it was like it was that that was your like official Antifa shoe. Uh, That's Nike owned. Yeah. Are, these the, are these like the sort of people who'd be like, oh, more children recognize YouTubers than the politicians? That's Absolutely. Literally I tell what you what, the, the Vietnamese children who are making that shoe were like, you know what, at least I'm doing it for a good cause. <laughs> <laughs> God. So, um, basically, yeah, it, it is the single most... It, it, is, it is basically... Um, it's it's stupid answers to stupider questions. It's, it's like cringe. we're we're it's mm. all cringe posting. It's we're going to stick it to capital, um, by like turning what, what? over the Nike swoosh. Yeah, watches uh, watches Fight Club once. Yeah, brand, mm. it's it's basically brands are the fundamental yeah. problem. Will everyone please stop sharing this? If the Nike swoosh is upside down, that means it's distress. <laughs> Damn, so, I, I hate it when people criticize capitalism by doing weird public theatrical gestures. So that's just really but they're bad. Not, they're not criticizing <laughs> capitalism. They're criticizing brands. Yeah, mm. that, that, that's what I mean by like, I, I, when I said that they were an outgrowth uh, of, of No Logo, that wasn't uh, a slam on Naomi Klein. She was right. Uh, it's just that they read the first half of that and then got bored. 
And we're like, yeah, like damn, there do be a lot of brands, though. It's like, fuck, I wish there weren't so many brands. Mm. Now, Michael I wish White, more spectator readers had that short of an attention span, so they only read the first paragraph of every article where it's just like, yes, good. Yes. Oh, racism <laughs> is bad. Good. Okay, I'll be moving on. So, yeah. uh, Michael White, who no longer is at Adbusters, he's now founded a program called the Activist Graduate School. Oh, two famously oh, effective things, activism I- and grad school. Do you have to have mm. your BA in activism before you go to Adjust Grad School? No. I'll tell you what it is. Um, it's a series of film videos about protesting that is free for 14 days. It's a playlist. Uh, it's a YouTube playlist. It's Prager U. It's Prager U. But it's it costs the thing 100... the Gravel teens were trying Hold to on. do. Prager no. U for the left. No. It costs £140 a year. It's different. It's more expensive. Okay. Oh. It's more expensive than Prager U. Prager U Premium. It's Prager Wait, U on, Premium you actually, for the you actually, you, actually, you actually have to pay for yes. Prager U content? I uh, know. No, 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 no. no. Oh. This is, that's the difference, is the activist graduate school um, is expe- it's like £140 for some YouTube videos. Really, really busting those ads. Damn. And they're not as high effort as yours. Mine are free. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So here's the, here's the article. So keep all of that in mind. Um, that basically he organized one march that coincided with a wave of protest, tweeted out the hashtag Occupy Wall Street, worked at Adbusters, and now sells YouTube videos about like how to protest against the Nike swoosh. Which is and- which is much, much worse than selling podcasts. Yeah, yes. Damn. I always whenever I go into the Nike store, I always take a knee uh, yeah. in protest. <laughs> um so he writes this about Davos. Uh, in a few days, the world's elite CEOs and world leaders, so using world twice in the same CEOs, opening sentence. such as me, the CEO of Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, will descend on Davos for the World Economic Forum, and I'll be there too, encountering the class I've been protesting, protesting against for most of my life. Cool. Okay. Protesting against by having a magazine. Yeah, protesting against by being like, what if instead of Procter & Gamble, it was... Uh, Upside down. <laughs> uh, what if it was prostate and gambler? Yeah, <laughs> prostate gambler, that's yeah. what I say yes. you are. Yes. Mm. My journey to Davos is an unlikely story. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Every single uh, like left movement has this guy times 100. Yeah, it's only an unlikely story if he's like skateboarded there or something. <laughs> yeah. Then I will allow him to call it an unlikely story. I'm a. Why do I feel like you guys have gotten this article as some kind of like as part of three ghosts from my future? So <laughs> 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 I feel like you set this up. <laughs> Be like my, my journey to uh, the you know the the, the space station mm. surrounding Earth of Elysium is an unlikely story, but. Well, am the, I, I going to ch- be listening back to this podcast in 20 years as I'm like in the Prime Minister's office like, wow. Yeah, just, just the like chief operating gently officer touching of the podcast. inside of the like pristine glass window. Yeah. Mm. Very wistful. So, no, he, uh, mm. uh, it don't, you know what it is? We're, this guy has posted a lot more cringe. You've never really posted much cringe. This guy, he's been posting cringe his entire career. Yeah, he, he's, he has become a capital simp. Um, mm. So my journey to Davos is an unlikely story. I'm a like- lifelong social activist who was, and get a load of the next word, nearly arrested during an anarchist <laughs> anti-globalization <laughs> protest. <laughs> Someone was arrested next to him. What? I was in the vicinity what? of an arresting. 
I saw someone get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> I saw something arresting once. I saw. I. I, I thought. I, I, I thought. thought about I thought about writing the number on my arm, but then I decided not to. Yeah. <laughs> Who was nearly arrested during an anarchist I, anti-globalization I, I was, protest? I was nearly arrested until the cop recognized that I was wearing the pin that identified me as an undercover. <laughs> <laughs> I was nearly arrested, but Dad let me off. <laughs> <laughs> so, who was nearly arrested during an anarchist anti-globalization protest against the World Economic Forum in 2002. For punching anarchists. <laughs> Seven... <laughs> <laughs> but then a cop was like, oh, I'm sorry, you're punching the anarchists. Please continue. <laughs> Several years later, uh, I co-created Occupy Wall Street. Oh, that's gracious of him. Doesn't, doesn't, mm. doesn't. Doesn't define what co-created means. Did you co-create it as one person who like he was he was the first person march? to occupy it? Yeah, no, was nobody the, else had ever been in Wall Street before. No. That. during my during my long career as a banker on Wall Street, I'd been one of the first people to occupy Wall Street. Yeah, no, you've absolutely Columbus the Occupy movement by it was already kind of there were already people there, and you just yeah. swanned in and fucking taking credit for it. It's one of the most smallpox for some reason. <laughs> so, a social movement against income inequality and the influence of money on democracy that spread to 82 countries in nearly 1,000 cities. Now I'm going to Davos not to protest but to participate. All of us are tilting our heads like dogs that have just been shown mm. close-up magic. The, the one where Ross goes to Davos. The... <laughs> In the nine years since the Occupy movement God, forced income inequality to the mainstream, to the mainstream discourse, there has been little to no progress on the issue, despite its being ardently discussed by elites at Davos. Mm. Oh, I know, I know why that is. It's because all of the all the people at the Occupy protests kept um, kept going to Starbucks and using their iPhones. Yeah. And they really... didn't go to activist yeah, graduate they, they, school. They didn't have this guy at Davos to make the arguments uh, uh, that Alice. would make the billionaires think, "Oh, well, Alice. maybe we should." Alice, you did the thing where you predicted as a joke the actual position that he takes. No, oh, uh, no, no, sorry. no, I refuse. Sorry. Sorry, you did. Is no. he turning up to Davos in Joker cosplay? <laughs> this is absolutely the uh, the drill tweet about takes off V for Vendetta mask to reveal Joker makeup underneath. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, he goes on, the 99%, by the way, that was coined by David Graeber. Did David Graeber co-create the 99%? Did he invent class consciousness? By Michael White's logic about co-creating Occupy Wall Street, he seems to have. In I don't fact, know if you guys knew this, but uh, I actually created Marxism two years ago when I did a series. <laughs> in fact, the 99% is arguably in a worse position politically and economically today than we were than when our encampments occupied the financial districts in 2011. Gosh, that's weird. Yeah. Huh. huh. Bitch, just because this guy did wasn't there to make the, you know, the case. Hmm. So, uh. so, so what he's saying here is this thing that I, I, I co-created got mercilessly owned. Uh... Therefore, I I am going to do some more things. Mm. Uh, and therefore, it's like, mm. okay, well, it got owned by all these people mm. there. What if someone asks them nicely? Yeah. So, he says, and yet, rejecting Davos is easy when one has not been invited to attend. Oh, we're all jealous. Well, and that yeah. is true. Yeah, damn, we're all very jealous. Yeah, it's the, the, the he would like to go skiing. Yeah. The, the, actually, the next live show is going to be up and out at Davos in front of the like IMF mm. people. I actually am 
going to Davos. <laughs> yes, but you're going there for the skiing, As a participant? <laughs> no, I'm just going there to go skiing. You will just be like, as yeah. as this guy is on the inside, like, wistfully touching the window and thinking about yeah. days past, you will just be going past on, like, a black diamond. And then there's like a, but then there's, like, a City Slickers confusion of identity <laughs> comedy. <laughs> and you no. and this guy switch places. No, uh, Michael White and I are going to have to, like, race for, like, um, for a... a uh, who like for whether or not Davos gets to keep happening? It's gonna Michael be White's so like, fucking weird when you yeah. two run into each other at like the train station or something. <laughs> and Michael White's like, but I don't know how to ski or eat oysters. <laughs> They're like, I'm gonna need that 500 word article about the Niagara Escarpment microclimate by Tuesday. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. And yet, rejecting Davos is very easy when one has not been invited to attend. Which again, does that just takes Davos as just natural and necessary? The, the just most, something that has the to most happen. anarchist thing is respecting invitations. Yeah, the only person who's ever turned down an invitation to Davos that wasn't offered has got to be Toby Young. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I didn't want to go anywhere. I wasn't going to go. I hate him. I would have a bit more respect for this guy if he just said, look, they offered to fly me out of business class and put me up in a nice hotel for two nights and give me some nice food. And I decided, what the fuck? Like, yeah, they're going to have the meeting anyway. We, like, we wouldn't be owning him if that did if that wasn't the case. I no. certainly wouldn't because mm. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, tell you this, yeah. I'll tell you the story. Right? Um, a few years ago, I got invited to be the ethics consultant at a banking conference. Um, I know, right? Very unlikely. Uh, they they flew me out, and it was like me and the the former vice president of NASA and uh, like Donald Trump's senior science advisor, and me, mm. man who at that time made YouTube videos in his bedroom because somebody on the organizing committee was a fan of the show and just stuck me in there. And and you know, the, they they go so that you can like be they can feel a little bit more radical and like you can just be their pet. And and you go and you take the piss, and it's great fun. And I they I remember there was one meeting where they were talking about the future and like getting young people invested in the economy. And it, this was, I think, uh, think this was around the time of the 2016 election. And they were saying, oh, like, maybe we should um, cut interest rates on student loans and that will get people, that will get kids more invested. And I was like, no, we don't want that. I'm, I'm telling you, like, you don't realize what 2008 has done. We're not going to cut interest rates on student debt. We're going to make tuition fee and abolish all of student debt. And they were like, ha ha, ridiculous. That'll never happen. You'll never get anywhere near the mainstream with that. And look what's happened. That's mm. like, that is the policy of the guy who's in the lead to be the Democratic nominee. So I can, yeah, I've been to stuff like this. I yeah. can fully sympathize with this guy. Like, they offered him a bunch of really nice free food, and he's having to write this article, like, trying to justify it to himself. Yeah. There's, there's, there's <laughs> a, Dude, there's just say you wanted a nice meal. Absolutely nothing wrong with some capitalist pet play. Uh, I bet they have some delightful waters, you know? <laughs> like, a, a fine yeah. selection of still and sparkling water. Ooh, now that could get me interested. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and you get to like play Cassandra or Diogenes, depending on how serious you are, and they don't yeah. listen yeah. to you. And, you yeah, get to and everyone thinks clever. you're cool. Yeah. So, Riley's 30 pieces of silver is just a nice sparkling water. He likes, he likes a nice water arrangement. I like a nice water. And but this if is I like was if going to Davos, I wouldn't want San Pellegrino. I'd want something a little bit... Uh, a little bit tonier. But this isn't even Voss. Judas. This isn't even Judas and thirty pieces of silver. This is like if they were gonna arrest Jesus and knew where he was anyway, and then just said, "Judas, do you want thirty pieces of silver?" And he was just like, oh, "All right." Yeah, you are denying Christ three times in the form yeah. of accepting yeah, yeah, yeah. little bottles of water. Oh, so, wait, but that, not even that, that because had Peter not denied him, then he would have been arrested. But it's just like <laughs> he's just that, like loudly proclaiming that, that you deny mean, him, and everyone's like, "All right." Is that mean? But it's like Jesus being released from jail, and he's like, "Where the fuck is that prick Judas Iscariot?" And they're like, "Well, who do you think paid the bail?" <laughs> <laughs> and, then like, and then he's like, "Wait, but why is he dead?" Oh yeah, he fucking hung himself. 
Yeah. So, Sorry, he, that, he actually, that also happened. Like, there was some confusion about whether he hung himself because my favorite Bible verse uh, suggests that he used his pieces of silver to go buy a farm in the country where he exploded. <laughs> Exploded. What? <laughs> yes. It genuinely like his his like bowels were rent asunder, which mood, uh, and like he just like kind of exploded to death in a field. Yeah. Riley's like, Damn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I, sparkling water, too sparkly. Mm. Um, yeah, you so, don't like it when the sparkles sparkle too much. Tammy so, had a Weatherspoons full English. So <laughs> after all. After all, Michael White continues, invitations to the forum are extremely rare and much coveted by elites who pay exorbitant fees to attend. Just like ancient Rome. To turn down was, the World um, Economic was, Forum. Was Acts 118, by the way. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Yeah. The, huh. like the, steps, the bubbles in Perrier are too sharp. <laughs> mm. um, Little so, shurikens of bubbles. To, yeah, yes, that's why I hate Perrier. So, to turn down the World Economic Forum would mean believing that I can know in advance what will come from going. Uh, is some kind of materialism? Yeah. No, no, he's, he's okay. basically trying to do, what is this, just like, just an, some kind of uncertainty oh. play? Oh, no. you're calling them prejudiced, but actually aren't you the prejudiced ones because you're refusing to go and find out for yourself. Yeah. No, I think I think we should Just interpret the possibility this, of knowledge. I think we should interpret mm. this article as a confessional text. Mm. So this is like being whispered through the through the like a priestly grating. This guy's like he's trying to say he's trying to justify this to himself, but it's just like, dude. We we get it. We, you wanted sparkling water. It's, it's a very it's a very Prince Andrew vibe. No, I was actually going to Davos to <laughs> uh, determine for myself that they were in fact not doing those things. I, I, and to I say was only Davos, going even there. if they were. Yeah, I was only going there to get directions on how to get away from there. <laughs> Davos so, is just such a convenient place to stay when you're in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, look, it has. It, I'll admit, in in the region, there are two mountains. There's there's Jakob's Horn. Um and Parsen and all Yo, the Jakob back in some horn. All the good, all the good apre is in Davos, which is by Jakob's horn. You, but right, the nicer you, mountain you, you is just, Parsen. You just want to take the little train that they have instead it's so of nice. I, I, instead of going to like I don't know Flen or somewhere. Yeah, you can take the uh, Ratishaban. It's really, really nice. It goes all the way from Lundcorp to I just imagine Riley like, wandering around the incredibly bougie at ski places of Davos, but just, being, but just being disappointed that none of them are playing techno or involve like, dudes <laughs> sucking each other off yeah, in the toilet. No, no, nobody's <laughs> tied up at all in Davos. Yeah. You, you, well, uh, you have to get the invite for like the special okay. basement <laughs> fringe sessions. Oh. Oh, we got to that in a moment. When is fisting Bro, night at Davos we? Nobu? <laughs> <laughs> so to turn down the World Economic Forum would mean believing that I can know in advance what will come from going. Yeah, on getting the contrary, pegged by Christine Lagarde. Uh, enjoying this Cartesian article. <laughs> on the contrary, uh, my experience as an activist taught me it is often the emergent and unexpected outcomes that end up being the most significant. Mm. Uh, I had to go. To, I had to go to see what would happen if I went. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, did, why did you climb this, uh, this mountain, George Mallory? All my losses was lessons. To understand what I could achieve at Davos, I first had to understand Davos. To become what? Davos. <laughs> to defeat Davos, I had to become Davos. What I discovered through, That's kind of what happened. Mm. What I discovered through research is that Davos is not one thing. Okay. Cool. Okay. There's actually two mountains. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's the Jakobshorn and... Yeah. Parsen. And Parsen. <laughs> Yeah, Parsen, better skiing. 
Uh, there are many Davoses at Davos, and it is possible to reject one or more sides of the gathering while still finding fucking, revolutionary oh, potential in another aspect the, of it. Doing the garden of forking paths at Davos. No, no, yeah, no, no, sorry, now we now we actually are into Plato's fucking cave shit because it's like oh the many the many simulac like <laughs> manifestations of Davos, <laughs> yeah. none of which well, are the no, one my, true my, my Davos. Thing for this is that it's <laughs> Borges, right? Like he has been let loose in this sort of the infinite library, except instead of books, it's cocktail parties, and eventually, like mm. every possible outcome of a cocktail party is contained there. There is the official Davos comprised of outward-facing sessions organized by the World Economic Forum. Okay. But there is also the unofficial Davos of decadent... Christine Lagarde pegging. (laughs) (laughs) The decadent corporate-hosted dinners and nightcaps attended by celebrities who fly in on private jets to party and are not invited to the forum. What 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 celebrities are going to Davos? Oh, to lots like, of them. Hang, all all the ones that like have a social conscience. The ninety nine percent is rightly wary of this decadent Davos. It is everything occupied, detested, elites reveling in luxury. But that's where you're going, though. You want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. the private, off-the-record events organized by the World Economic Forum. These are secretive invite-only meetings held under the Chatham House rule. These, along with the equally confidential bilateral meetings held between participants in corridors and hotel lobbies, is the Davos with potential to usher in great social changes. Does it include the Chatham House rule where you can't mention any women who aren't the Virgin Mary or the Queen? Because I imagine <laughs> that, would, that would cause some problems I, for the... I, 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 have, I have two questions. Question the first, if these secretive meetings have the potential to usher in great social changes, what social changes have they ushered in? And question the second, given that there are these great potential uh, secretive invite-only meetings, what makes you think that you, uh, a former sort of proximate anarchist currently writing this up for a national newspaper, would ever be invited to one? Like you're uh, ju- you're just getting left by the waters, dude. Um. Well, here is the argument that Michael White hopes to make. Uh, he's basically number one. He's basically like saying he wants to go to Davos to like skulk around hallways and then like jump out at the Spanish finance minister to be like, hey. <laughs> and the Spanish hey, finance minister's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, I'm already on your side. I'm already better than on your side, man. Go and have some free wine. Yeah. Who the fuck are you, <laughs> my friend? So. He basically says, it is here that the argument can be made that elites must stop suppressing protest and instead harness the creative energy of social movements to achieve great changes. Hmm. What, what if we away. co-opted this popular energy? Hmm. If, only, if only there were some kind of model for what happens when elites trying to preserve their position uh, hijack and attempt to steer a populist movement of outrage against them. It couldn't be. Uh, uh, well, it starts with an What's F. It, an F? The, yeah. yeah. Oh, forkism. Well, just, I'm just encouraging the, the you know the French government to be cool and rotate their flag through 90 degrees, thereby becoming the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, I love this. He says the creative energy of social movements. What does he think that like Occupy is gonna build the next TikTok? Like, what the fuck is his actual end game here? Other than just, as you said, Ollie, I'd like some free wine, and I don't want anyone to get mad at me about it. Mm. But the thing mm. is, like, I, I almost feel for this guy because this article is motivated by guilt. Because if he didn't want people to get mad about the fact that he wanted free wine and luxury parties and getting pegged, he could have just not written it. Yes, mm. he just, just not told just say anyone. Nothing. 
And there would have been like five tweets where somebody said, oh, did you know that Micah, what, what's his chops? Was it Michael Davos? White, exactly. Michael White. And, and no, one know who he no was one would have known, this. man. No, 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 no. No one knew who he was. No, no, no one knew he was the CEO of uh, uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement until mm. he wrote this article. It's, it, it's this it's, is, it's this whole article is what we, what we in the laws business would call a statement against interest, right? Like, yeah. Hmm. Do you think this is like a this is like a whole a whole tactical thing to like uh, basically de- dead cat strategy him being the CEO of Occupy Wall Street where like he just wants to he wants to get that on the record unchallenged yeah, it's, because it's people are so thing. busy challenging yeah. the rest of this insane article. You go- now you Google show? CEO of Occupy Wall Street and the little Google info uh, box pops up with Michael uh, White. Yeah. De- dead cat strategy is like when uh, you know the government has done something like accidentally deport all of the black people and then they're like hey we need a distraction so they just like release a load of footage of Michael Gove like coming on a picture of Thatcher and then everyone starts talking about that instead it's like you kind of you release something about yourself that's like it's bad but it's like less meaningfully bad but more distractingly bad than it, it, what the it, it actual is, bad thing it, it is identity rather than material uh, it, just, it means that it comes from like throwing a dead cat on the table as being like yeah what about that he says the forum is perhaps the only place on earth where these opportunities for fraternization are possible but you're not go- going to mm. get to fraternize with them because you're not their frater no. think, he thinks he's going to join the uh, join the frat also, yeah, they, he, they, they, he thinks he's, he's in the cool kids club. It, 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 ah, this is the fucking the your Simpsons reference, if you like, is the ancient mystic society of no micers. Mm. <laughs> just getting just getting paddled by Michel Barnier and being like, does yeah, this mean I'm it, in the club it, now? Yeah, it's yeah. a hazing thing, totally. Yeah, like that. What thing is? Yeah. Here's the thing, right? There are unions in France that are shutting down power plants as a result of the government's pension reform. CGT, government, yes. And the government is fighting them tooth and nail. So it seems as though Michael White thinks that he's going to somehow do better than like what a year of French labor act of French like labor actions that have like turned off one of the power plants in the country as a result of like Macron's terrible pension reforms by what going up to Macron and just suggesting that maybe he should allow the gilet jaune to like build an app. This is ridiculous. I've been having to read these racist Tintin comics by candlelight. <laughs> we have to send YouTubers of greater and greater power. So, like, we, ha- we have to work our way up to Ollie, but, like, we have to, like, step one step up in between and be like, we have, we have to send the McElroys to Davos. I love it when you go up to the French Prime Minister and you're like, uh, fucking let my profile grow. <laughs> but these events, I mean, I do sometimes get invited to, nothing like on the scale of Davos, but I do sometimes get invited to do little things like this, like that banking conference. And it's, it's like a game of chicken, basically, is you go and you... you take the piss you tell them all like resign that is my ethical consultancy to you is all of you resign um and if you feel guilty about it then then they don't invite you back but if you make them feel guilty they want to because they understand on some level that they're evil so they invite you back like <laughs> but to don't write like confessional- oh my god you're, you're doming them yeah. yes. yes exactly that's what you- <laughs> you're cucking them hard that's it- what you do you go and they say oh and then you're like oh you're gonna say something a bit spicy and you just tell them the truth you're like resign you're all like terrible people and your ideas are awful and you should all retire and then they, if they if they like you, then they'll just pay you to keep telling them that. Yeah. So basically, get a, you're getting darling. a lucrative job repainting this writing on this wall. Yeah. And they're all like, <laughs> "How do you feel about fucking my wife?" And so basically, <laughs> exactly. Ollie is getting invited to dom these people, and Michael White's strategy seems to be to try to just simp them. Yeah, pro sub, mm-hmm. pro sub. He's he's yeah. he's doing he's doing the the opposite side of the same coin, and now we have to respect him. He's trying yeah, to top from yeah. the bottom. Yeah. So I have to do geek. <laughs> oh fuck. 
I love to do kind of lingers on Victor Orban until he lets me have a nice office for <laughs> Occupy. <laughs> so I think that's about all we have time for for this premium episode of TF. We've run a bit long, but I want to say to everyone here uh, listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your support. Uh, and also thank you, Ollie, for coming in. My pleasure. I've got to shoot off because mm. I've got to go to Davos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, see, which he Davos? He didn't, and he didn't simp about it. The pegging one. No. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we got to go to pegging, Davos. Also, some plugs. We obviously plugged the live show at the top of the show. Link for that will be in the show description. Uh, also, oh, fucking hell, Alice. Um, <laughs> I didn't even have to say anything. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. too powerful now. Yeah. Also, I'm doing a preview of my new show with Chloe Pets at the Secford on the 27th of Jan. Uh, there'll be a link to that in the show description as well. And also, uh, we have been neglecting to plug our web designer, uh, Tom, who designed gettingyourdicksucked.com. If you've ever been on gettingyourdicksucked.com and thought, hey, this is a good website with a normal name, um, I wonder who designed that. It's our web designer, Tom. Uh, he's very good at web design. If you need any web design, go to go to him. Support support yeah. a fellow leftist and get your website, gettingyourwebdesigned.com. Just, 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 um, just Google the name Tom. He's the CEO yeah. of Tom. <laughs> we, will put, <laughs> we will put a link to his company yes. in the show notes. Yes. So go see Tom for all your web design needs. Yes. Go tune into Ollie's uh, Philosophy Tube channel for all your Philosophy Tube needs. And listeners, if you have accidentally left your phone on the other side of the room and therefore are still listening to this bit of the show, um, I have another very special plug for you. You may be familiar with mm. my show Philosophy Tube, but if you live in London, you might like to come and see me play Dracula on stage in an immersive theatrical production of Dracula at the end of March. And if you Google immersive Dracula, then you will find it. And I would advise, mm. if you do want to come, I would advise getting tickets soon because we have not even started rehearsals. Safe and half search of the on, tickets, lads. <laughs> half of the tickets are already mm. gone. All the VIP tickets are sold out, um, but there are still several left. So if you do want to come along, it's at the end of nice. March. Immersive love, love, love a sexy Dracula. Mm. <laughs> so, so go to gettingyourticketsbought.com, which is where I assume they'll be sold. <laughs> getting your uh, well, what, is, what, is, what is a dom but a ticketmaster.com? <laughs> gettingyourbloodsocked.com. All right. Uh, <laughs> our theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. Listen to it early. Listen to it often. See you all later. Good night. Bye. Good night. night.